Hello, and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I am your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austin. And this episode... (sighs) All right, this episode, we have been preparing for this episode because this is a really hard smackdown. This is... I think it's that hard. It's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. (laughs) It's Darcy versus Heathcliff. All right. Darcy versus Dog Killer. We're going to get through this, guys. Wow. I, yeah. I'm going to turn it over to you first, (laughs) Hannah. Um, Let me, you know, have you present to the audience your case for Mr. Darcy. It's going to be pretty easy, right? Pretty, pretty easy. Well, the thing is, though, I... I have always found it a bit weird that Mr. Darcy is the most desirable of Jane Austen's. <laughs> really? I mean, Fair come on, he's a handsome, rich man that just steps in and fixes all of uh, her problems. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but it's a bit like, it's a bit boring, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I'm over this grumpiness. Mm, well, what is that about? <laughs> that might be my argument later on. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I think when you talk to people these days and... Believe me, there are a lot of articles trying to dissect the Darcy effect. Um, a lot of people will just say, you know, oh, he's so handsome, you know, like he's he's so moody and mysterious. Mm. And, you know, like saying that you ardently admire and love someone is a pretty good line. And if someone ever yeah. wants to come at me with that one, you know, I probably would swoon. And as Mr. Bennett says, I'm quite at my leisure. <laughs> if anyone wants to get in there but you know I, I'm i kind of more of a Wentworth girl as I think I make very clear in yeah. every episode and before I was a Wentworth girl I was quite smitten with Henry Tilney because he's funny I enjoy Tilney I like a bit of Tilney but before that I did kind of like Mr Darcy he's the mm-hmm. first one you know he was in the BBC adaptation he like I mean he's in all of the adaptations of Pride and Prejudice yeah it'd be funny if he was not actually maybe I'll write that one maybe I'll write (laughs) one where a fan fiction where Mr (laughs) Mr Wentworth Mr Tilney or Captain Wentworth are the the Darcy's of the story but I don't need to do that because the other stories exist yeah so you know who who cares um oh yeah I never really cared so much about like the other ones you know like the backup singers oh no no, like what, Edmund, Mr. Knightley, Edward. Come uh, on. Yeah, Knightley. Whose favourites are those? Yeah. Knightley's weird because he's like, oh, Emma, I remember when I held you in my arms when you yeah, were a small baby. He's like an older brother and just, yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little gross. Yeah. But I do like uh, Johnny Lee Miller Yeah, in that adaptation. Yeah, he's quite good. He's very but good. But you know who I think everyone always forgets? Hmm. Colonel Brandon. Because there are two heroines of Sense and Sensibility, which means that there are two love interests. It's true. And it isn't just just Edward Ferris, who, let's be fair, is pretty boring. Mm -hmm. It's also Colonel Brandon, who, let's be fair... Not as boring. boring. <laughs> he's a little bit boring. He's like, but he like he's got his mystery, you know. And yeah, his, yeah. His passions. Yeah. He's I like, prefer I prefer Brandon to Edward. Yeah, Aaron's, for sure. Like, Absolutely. Every time. Like so, as you guys can tell, there are so many heroes so that many. we have to talk about, and we're not we're not even including the bad lads. No, we're not none even. Of, not none of the bad lads are included. 
So I hope you guys will understand if we have to break this episode into two episodes, because my God, we three, can do four. or three, four. Just it's gonna be just like a six part or a four part Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion this oh, year. I was gonna say if this, the drama just goes. If just this goes. was a horror franchise, that would be this episode that'd mm-hmm. be the sequel episode then mm-hmm. we'd have a prequel episode oh, yeah. and then we'd have like a spin-off with a minor character yeah, yeah so yeah for sure but you know before we can get into anything mm-hmm. anything about the guys we have to talk about what it is that actually makes a regency gentleman gentleman not yeah. a regency gentleman mm-hmm. and i was doing some research uh, because that's important to actually know what you're talking about just yeah. a little bit. And when I was doing my research, I googled the phrase. What phrase do you think I googled? I think you put in quotes. Yeah, I didn't because I didn't know how to use Google like a pro. Reg- Regency gentleman. I did. Do you know what came up? Yeah. What? A band called the Regency Gentlemen. And I like listened to them for a bit, but it's kind of like it's mostly just a covers band. Oh so no! I can't like report back saying that's okay. a, a Frederick Wentworth fan band out there they do covers of songs <sighs> that's too bad i i love that that's their name though it's a great it's a re- name it is a really good name i actually if i were in a band that'd probably be the name of my band well it's taken i'm sorry sadly <laughs> as i just it would be great though if they like the lead singer was like a darcy and then like you know wentworth on the drums and well, so I was thinking that um, I would have Tilney on the vocals because mm-hmm. he's funny. You know, okay. he's like the charming front man. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's true. Darcy's yeah. not a front yeah. man. Darcy, oh, I've got him as the lead guitarist. We don't quite like, he never makes eye contact. He's kind of like the moody. He's too cool for school. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. so cool for school. That's yeah. the phrase, so cool for school. Yeah, he's like <laughs> one of those guys too that plays the guitar. Like he plays it so well, but he can't even like... <laughs> He can't even, he's like not even impressed by it. He's just like, yeah, I just do this. He's like, he's all right. And everyone's like, I mean, he's fine. You know, he's a cool guy. He's fine. But then every now and then, like at a live show, he'll do something really impressive. And people will be like, well, you know, he's a serious musician because he, he plays Spanish guitar or something. I don't know. Yeah. You know, he does Very something serious. Uh Wentworth, my main man, mm-hmm. um, plays like the penny whistle, the fiddle. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. Like a little, a little cheeky little, something. Okay. Like unexpected. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. keeps them separate. And then the other guys just don't play like various other instruments. Oh, okay. Yeah. I really don't really care. Gave, <laughs> give up at that point. Who's on the keyboard? Edward Ferris. Yeah. Because he's a nerd. <laughs> nice. Right? Nice. Or Edmund. Just. Edmund's just doing like some kind of synth stuff, maybe. What kind of music do they play? Are they like a cold play? Are they. Uh, they're kind of like, uh, like Backstreet Boys, I guess. Oh. Oh, wow. You know, like, they will play their own music, write their own songs. Yeah, they're like yeah. Backstreet Boys, but they play their own songs. Yeah, like, exactly like, that's, I don't, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. They're like a boy band, but they play instruments. So. Okay. Yeah. All right, I- I'll accept it. Okay. I'll allow it. So, but act like, actual research, actual research. We need right. to think about what it is that makes Regency Gentlemen. It isn't being in a band called the mm-hmm. Regency Gentlemen, believe it or not. Uh, it is more than just a set of rules that you kind of follow. So it's not like a gentleman opens the door for a lady as she walks past and mm-hmm. pulls out her chair or always walks on the side of the road closest to the cars. Mm-hmm. Like that isn't... That's not cars, it. Well, cars didn't exist, did they? So that wouldn't be one of the rules. But it was like a specific like rank. Mm-hmm. 
okay. that people like it was recognized so you weren't just like a gentleman because you were like nice to people it was like it was a thing it was like it isn't the same as being a lord just in the way that a lord is a rank does right. that make sense it does make sense okay would they get like a card in the mail uh i don't it's like laminated just said like yeah gentleman. and they, like yeah. they keep it in their wallets and yeah. stuff you know so it was, a, it was a social standing. Some people think that uh, it was kind of what differentiated uh, the middle classes and then the people who had land. Okay. So it's like you could be middle class without being a gentleman, but if you had land, then you were. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would suggest if it was a land thing, that it was someone who was gaining their income from their land. And mm-hmm. you, didn't, you didn't have to necessarily have a job when that was the case, because managing your estate and managing your properties and your rents and all of the farms and everything on it, like that was your job, and if right. you if you were good at it, then you know you'd have more money. Mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of blurry because people have like their own definitions. But the thing with Jane Austen's work is that we see all kinds of gentlemen, mm-hmm. and she really shows like I think without without knowing any of that information, some of the relationships and some of the interactions between characters you don't actually pick up on or explore because you you don't know what's going on between them. Right. So I'll break some of that down. This, I'm going to do like a quick refresher for people who do not know what the class system is or the rank the rank system this at the time. This is very useful. I think this, this is, is really useful. Okay. So we're going to start at the top. Okay. The royalties. You've got your king and queen. Your princesses and your princes. Okay. And then below them, you've got your nobility. So dukes, mar, mar, marquis, marquis, marquis. Well, marquis is uh, like a tent that you go in, isn't it? It's spelt differently. Yeah, yeah. The regent, the regency gentleman playing in the marquis, marquis. I don't think an earl. Just moving on. <laughs> uh, viscount, barons. So, um, so Walter Elliot would have been. Uh, he was a baron, okay. and most of the like the higher ranking people in Jane Austen's book tend to stop at baron level. Like right. we don't meet very many people above that. And, you know, I think that's probably because that's the top tier of who she would have been hanging out with. That makes sense. Because of her because brother's it's... adoption and his wealthier friends. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, so she's writing about what she knows. Okay. And then you have the people that were called uh, sirs or ladies, uh, sirs or ladies, or Mr. and Mrs. Mm-hmm. So that was, everyone's a Mr. now, aren't they? Yeah. But that was a title. That mm-hmm. was something that was earned from a certain rank. And that includes baronets, knights, and the landed gentry. Landowners. Who are the landed gentry? Me. You are. No, the <laughs> no. Bennett family. The Bennett. So they're like the best example of people, like the landed gentry. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bennett doesn't have a job. But he's got Longbourn, right? right? And they have like farms and stuff on it. So then you have other gentlemen. So this is where it gets a bit muddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, or people who were their equal, captains, colonels. So people who had worked their way through business, commerce, or the army, or the navy. So people could really start with nothing and then work their way up. Right. Can you think of anyone who is a mister from this? Ooh, who's a mister? lots of misters there's so many misters well i mean we just talked about mr knightley but what is mr knightley's deal mr knightley is landed gentry okay i'm looking at a chart that hannah made i feel like we should just place all of the gentlemen on a chart in our book (laughs) yeah i mean we could do so um people who were affluent businessmen include uh 
Mr. Gardner. Yes. From Pride and Prejudice. Mr. Bingley from Pride and Prejudice. He's that he, guy. His and family, he's from the, from the North, I believe. Yeah, and his family got money through business. Trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other people of the same rank are like Captain Wentworth. So he started as nothing, but then he actually works his way up to being, you know... And once you once you kind of get to that level, if you can get the money, mm-hmm. kind of doesn't matter where it came from. So, but I'll, I'll get onto stuff like that. There is this really famous quote in Pride and Prejudice where Lizzie Bennet says to Lady Catherine de Bourgh, like, he is a gentleman, I'm a gentleman's daughter, so far we are equal. And she's trying to say, like, you think that I'm below Mr. Darcy, but in terms of rank, we are, we are at the same level. Mm-hmm. Mr. Darcy is the landed gentry, though. So... On according to this scale, he is a little bit, you know, and like, he's a man. He's got ten thousand pounds. He's got ten thousand pounds. Yeah. So it's it's a lo- yeah. And there are a lot of people in Pride and Prejudice who consider themselves equal. They aren't uniformly so. Some of them have got their money in the same way, but they have more money. And then you also get into the really murky area of genteel manners. So there is nothing to suggest that the character Mr. Hurst has anything that makes him a gentleman opposed, as opposed to like just dressing like one or, you know, having money. He just kind of lounges around. We don't know what he does. Mm-hmm. We don't really know where he's come from other than the fact that he's married to Bingley's sister. Um, he certainly dresses like a gentleman. So like he just appears and right. he is one. And then you've got Mr. Darcy, who is a gentleman and the owner of a vast estate, but then he's not a lord. Right. And the reason that's interesting is that Mrs. Bennet says uh, how rich and great you will be, what pin money, what jewels, what carriages you will have, a house in town, everything that is charming, 10,000 a year and very likely more. It's as good as a lord. It's as good as a lord. Mm-hmm. So the reason that he's as good as a lord is because that's how much money lords are getting. Right. So then you've got people who have these family estates, these homes, these incomes, all of the trappings of these much higher ranking people, mm-hmm. but without the title. Right. And that's when you had people who had money and all of the wealth, and then they wanted to marry people who had a title, but maybe not as much money. Right. Exactly. So you've got people, like... I guess I'm just, I'm also wondering how those people, and this is not what this podcast is about, but mm-hmm. how they were received by, like, lords and ladies. Like, you know, how would Mark- Mr. Darcy be received by someone who is, you know, a Viscount? I don't know, because we never meet them. That's yeah, the thing. I know. We do get Sir Walter Elliot's views on people that work their way up. He has a very low opinion of people in the Navy, partly because he thinks they all look super scruffy because they're on the sea all the time, so they're windswept and windblown. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, Captain Wentworth, by the end of Persuasion, is considered to be a totally suitable match mm-hmm. for Anne because he finally has money right. and he does have a respectable rank in his own way. Uh, so, um, he's not a sir. So, uh, Mr. Elliot, the guy that's going to inherit mm-hmm. Anne Elliot's home, that's interesting because he is a guy who will inherit Kellynch Hall and he'll have all of the money and he'll have the estate and he'll have all of that, but he doesn't have the title. And that's why everyone is so convinced that he's going to marry Elizabeth, the older one, because if he marries her... He gets the title that he wants. He gets the baronessy, and the baronessy can only be passed down through marriage. You can't buy that. Mm-hmm. You can buy the biggest house you want, but you can't buy the title. I mean, now you can buy the title, by the way. Also, I think back then you could kind of buy it because you could, yeah. like, buy your way into families and stuff like that. Right, right. But you know, like, money moves things. But you like to to get the title as well as the money. Like, that's what you've got to do. Mm-hmm. So, it's 
like it's a whole thing it's like a monopoly game there's a lot of it there's a really good breakdown at Morgate Books which is a website so I'll make sure there's a link for that uh, somewhere that you can find I've got loads of links for this episode because I had to we can put them in the uh, show notes and then also like toss them on Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff sweet thank you so uh, the other place that I got a bunch of information was from um, the British Library website so uh, John Mullen we you're love, big, we love big fan of John, Mullen. John Mullen around here. We do love John Mullen around here and picking his brains. He just broke down the ways that the different ranks are represented, like within Jane Austen's works. A lot of the time that she was writing about high ranks, she was kind of making fun of them and just being like, you think these people are really great? Yeah. Like the higher somebody rises in the ranks in Jane Austen's works, the more likely she is to really just rip them to shreds. Mm-hmm. There aren't many examples of poorer people being portrayed as stupid and ignorant like as opposed to just being uneducated it's not Mm -hmm. like poor people are filthy and stupid and horrible but the people that refer to them as such tend to be the people she looks down on the most Mm -hmm. Uh, and they tend to be like really vain like Lady Catherine de Bourgh and Sir Walter Elliot you know they're awful Mm -hmm. and I think that kind of shows Jane Austen's view of this is interesting that we're talking about this because and I didn't see this parallel sort of coming Mm -hmm. but um what I'm going to talk about a little bit later with Wuthering Heights is like, it, it is money. It's like, it, it, we're, we're talking about men and their money and how are, how they are perceived by society. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, yeah. And sort of the Bronte's view on that as well. But also women and their money. Um, uh, Willoughby, I always get the Wickham and Willoughby confused, but mm-hmm. Willoughby's a really good example because he is a guy who's going to inherit an estate, but he's got no money. Yeah. And he really likes... Uh, Marianne Dashwood but he can't be with her and so he ends up marrying someone with a lot of money mm-hmm. and she's like she's not very well known she's not like a great beauty she's not someone that like people are like obviously he'd be marrying her it's a money thing right and that's and young women of fortune were very much in danger of fortune hunters people who would come in mm-hmm. and they would sweep them off their feet it's Wickham's thing just to try and get to these fortunes, just to try and get their money from them. And so mm-hmm. they really, like, they did have to be like, protected. Not, I'm not saying, like, from men, uh, by men, but, like, siblings, friends, yeah, like, yeah, their parents, absolutely. you know, yeah. just really, like, are you, are you sure? And so there's this bit, um, as everyone will know, in Pride and Prejudice, where Jane is like, don't, don't believe everything Wickham says. And I think mm-hmm. that's partly just because she's quite, like, a, uh, an even-tempered person, so she's mm-hmm. not just going to hate Mr. Darcy or hate Mr. Wickham. She's like, everyone has good and bad in them. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, it's kind of like that whole, just stop for a minute. Like, is this guy as good as he seems? Like, he's mm-hmm. certainly very charming, but can we just believe everything he says? Right. And in um, Love and Friendship as well, like, everyone marries a fortune hunter in that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the two girls in that are fortune hunters themselves, because they're just running around getting married to anyone who will give them some money. Right. So. So that's Regency Gentlemen. Do you think, does that make sense? Are you clear? I think that makes sense. A little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah okay. guys, um, buy the book if you uh, want more information. We'll make a chart. We'll illustrate it. It'll be great. Yeah. yeah. Our book, not just like... Yeah, yeah, not book. not John Mullen's book. I mean, you should... You John should, Mullen's you pretty great. You should buy every You should John buy Mullen's his book. book. But um, you should definitely buy ours, too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you want to talk about Mr. Darcy? Yeah. I talked about him a bit, but there is, there's so much to say about him. 
Okay, so I think one of the main things about Mr. Darcy, before we get started on the, he's so handsome, Mm -hmm. he's so tall. The thing that makes him really interesting, and it's a storytelling technique that Jane Austen uses in a lot of her books, is that our perception of Mr. Darcy changes as a reader, as Elizabeth Bennet's perception of Mr. Darcy changes in the book. Yeah. Before we meet him, we know that he's super rich. We're very interested to meet him because there's all of the gossip that's going on. Mm -hmm. They walk in. He's very handsome. It's actually remarked on that he's more handsome than Mr. Bingley. Yeah. Everyone is floored by the fact that, because obviously Mr. Bingley is the one that's let Netherfield Hall, so everyone's talking about him. He's got five grand a year. Banging. Mr. Darcy, he's got twice as much. So this is like top gossip. Mm -hmm. But then the more Mr. Darcy is rude to people not just Elizabeth, but everyone. Like, the entire book turns against him. Mm-hmm. Like, her mum doesn't like him, her family doesn't like him, her dad doesn't, like, particularly say anything good about him. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone is against him. And so you just look at everything he's doing, like, he is super proud, he is super rude. And I think because the first thing, like, the first thing that Lizzie really hears about her from Mr. Darcy is him saying, like, she's not handsome enough to tempt me doesn't yeah. matter what he does after that. So, yeah, so the exact quote is, she is tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt me. I am in no humour at present to give consequence to young ladies who are slighted by other men. I think that's the kicker. It's like yeah, that yeah. bit. Yeah. You know, young ladies slighted by other no men. No one else wants her. Yeah, it's exactly. Rude. And Darcy It's really says that, rude. It is super rude. It's not the rudest thing that happens in the book. I think that's Caroline yeah. Bingley's letter to Jane. But, so obviously... Even when Lizzie is like, oh, I kind of fancy this guy because she is physically attracted to him because mm. he's super handsome and like they've got the chemistry. She's not going to admit to anyone that she fancies this yeah, guy. She's going to be like, sure. obviously, I don't like him either. Yeah. If someone says they don't like you, you're not going to be like, well, they don't like me. But uh, there is a bit at the end of the book where Elizabeth says that she wants to know when Darcy realised he was in love with her. So at this point, she's like, I'm jumping forward, so just bear with me. But she wants to know, for him, like, when did he realise? Because the very first thing we hear from Mr. Darcy is, I'm not interested. Right. So when did it happen? Because the whole book is from her point of view. And so he, so the quote is, I cannot fix on the hour, or the spot, or the look, or the words, which laid the foundation. It is too long ago. I was in the middle before I knew that I had begun. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good, but it's kind of annoying, because I want to know when, right? I think it's good. I think it's good though. I I love that quote. I love that quote. And um, I think that's really true to how relationships are because I can't tell you like when I fell in love with my husband. I I can't tell Mm. you an exact moment. And um, there is another quote by another author in some book that I read like long ago, and I cannot remember it for the life of me. And maybe a listener will. But it's something like, you know, someone saying very much the same thing. Like, when did you know? Or was it was it when um, Edward Cullen says to Bella Swan, you're like my personal brand of cocaine? Because that's a pretty good one, isn't it? Is that a thing that happens, really? I think so, yeah. I think that's, oh, good Lord. That's you know, on a level. It's just is something like, you know, they ask, like, you know, when or how fast or just, like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I fell in love with you. Like, it was like, it was slow and then it was fast. And I think that's... The, the gist of what he's saying like it just it's kind of slowly happened but then suddenly I was just in it and I kind of love that yeah and I, I but I also think it's 
I think it's true for the reader as well. Because yeah. by the time Elizabeth realises she's in love with him, we already know mm-hmm. that this is the guy. It's not just the guy for her, like, he's the guy, isn't he? Like, in mm-hmm. the book, um, against lots of guys in other books, like, he's someone that you kind of fall for a little bit. And, like, what is it? Like, what happens to make this guy who's super rude charming? Like, why why are we charmed by him? So I think a lot of people will flippantly say the reason that Elizabeth falls in love with him is because she goes to see his really big, fancy house in the countryside. Mm-hmm. It's that's a complete oversimplification. Over, I can't say it. <laughs> oversimplification. Yeah. Of like that whole scenario, and so when people miss it out from adaptations, when people gloss over it, mm-hmm. I think like you're. This is the book. This is it. This is the heart of the book because mm-hmm. this is when someone realizes that they've completely judged someone based on what other people have said first impressions like the first title of the book was first impressions and how it completely colors how people perceive each other and how we judge people and their actions after we've met them right so we go to Pemberley with Elizabeth she's on holiday with her aunt and uncle the gardeners who are frankly some of the most sensible people that you meet in -hmm. the story they're the nicest characters and I think in the Joe Wright adaptation they did a really good job with casting them because you just you just really like them and you you totally get why Elizabeth is like, oh, get me away from my crazy family. I'm yeah. going on holiday with these guys. There is a theme throughout the story that Mr. Darcy is not a completely uh, perfect guy. Like he starts off really flawed, but he changes by the end of the book. He overcomes himself. Mm-hmm. And that is why he is able to get past everything and be with Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Learning and changing are not necessarily the same thing. What do I mean by that? Um, you can tell I read my notes there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like in time, Darcy does start to learn to tolerate Lizzie's parents and her sisters. Um, he gets used to them, or at least he can bear to be around them because he's in love with her, right? Do you think he's like maybe even somewhat charmed by them in a way. No. Like, it's interesting. No. Do you know what I, No? Like, no. I think, like, it's sort of interesting. Like, they sort of... I mean, he's he's not a fan of them, but I don't know. It just, like, sort of shakes up his boring life a little bit. Okay. What I want to know is what, what are you getting from the text that suggests that? I guess I'm not. Nothing. I'm not. Nothing. It's like, so a, a beef with the Joe Wright one, Mr. And, Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are not in love. We can romanticise their relationship and be like, oh, he's just being tolerant of her funny, you know, he finds it all very amusing. He doesn't. He's fed up. It says in the book that he married someone who was very pretty when he was a young man and he's lived to regret it his entire life. It's fine. We can just show that in the film, mm-hmm. you know. And to be, I think to say like, maybe he finds them really charming. I'm pretty sure at the end of the book, it's just like, they spend as little time as possible with certain members <laughs> of the family because he doesn't like them. I don't think he likes them, but I just think it's like, it's something like, I don't know, like it's part of the package in a way. Do you know, like Lizzie has come from that family. Yeah. And it just, it's something a little extra. It's something interesting about her. He doesn't have to like it. He doesn't have to like be around them, but I don't know. It made her memorable. It made him, you know, really think about her a lot and her family. And I don't know. It's just in there. I don't agree. I think that's That's absolute nonsense. (laughs) Like the reason that Elizabeth Bennet sticks in Mr. Darcy's mind is because she's got horrendous family. 
Yeah. Like, that's not why you don't date someone because their, like, annoying mum is amusing to be around. <laughs> you just think about them a lot. Like, it just, it just made him think about her more, you know? I do love the way he interacts with certain members of her family. Yeah. There is not a minute that he is, like, rude or dismissive to the gardeners. They meet at Pemberley, and yeah. So by the time that um, by the time that Elizabeth turns up at Pemberley with her aunt and uncle, Darcy's in love with Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Like we know that, like from his behaviour, he's already like he's going to try and make amends. He's proposed at that point once before and been turned down. Yes, yes. And so it's a bit awkward, but he's like, this is this is the one that I want to marry. God, mm-hmm. I wish she felt the same about me. And so yeah, part of it is that he's like he's trying to impress her. But he doesn't have to have patience with these guys. He doesn't have to, like, bite his tongue or put up with their nonsense and their bullshit. It's just, these guys are great. And, like, the gardeners are one of the examples of people who are genteel in, like, the true sense of the word. Mm -hmm. They're not over the top. They're not crass. They are polite. They are nice to be around. Mm -hmm. They are, like, educated. They're well-traveled. Um, they have money, so like in terms of rank, like they are gentlemen, like they're they're equals. They're equals mm-hmm. emotionally, educationally, financially, and they're there. And I think it's seeing Elizabeth with these guys, and Elizabeth seeing the way that he interacts with them, you kind of they get to start seeing like almost like a family unit, almost. Like, yeah, that makes sense. I think it's also him being on his own, like his home turf as well. Yeah. Because I don't think he is a super social person. No. And when he is with Bingley and, you know, he's 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 not in his comfort zone. But also he's and not he's, just you know, with Bingley, is he? He's with Caroline, Caroline Bingley, who is and hunting him down. Exactly. She is like coming for him. Exactly. And Mrs. Hurst, who is boring. And Mr. Hurst, who is a bore. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's not just, and you know, yeah, he's at home. He's with his housekeeper who loves him. I'll get on to her. His sister, she loves him. So you're right. That's like... He has control over his environment and he's more comfortable. Yeah. So. But can you imagine him still being comfortable and in control of his environment when Mrs. Bennett and Lydia Bennett are there? No, but, you know, I think he's secretly amused. It's just my reading, guys. It's there's nothing. You're right. There's nothing in the text to support that. But um, I think it sounds like a fan fiction. <laughs> I think that sounds like a fan fiction. So the other thing that people like to talk about is the fact that he helped Lydia. Mm hmm. So she goes away and it's like, he rushes in, he's got money and resources. And so obviously he's able to help maybe in a way that uh, other people aren't. Mm-hmm. He does go out of his way to do it. It is a very nice gesture. He does make a point of saying, if you will thank me, let it be for yourself alone, that the wish of giving happy to, happiness to you might add force to the other inducements which led me on. I shall not attempt to deny, but your family owe me nothing. Much as I respect them, I believe I thought only of you. Mm-hmm. That bit, as much as I respect them, not true. He respects Jane. Yeah. Did he partially do it for Jane and Bingley too, you think? Is yeah, he possibly. Not the, yeah. I mean, yeah. He's saying like, there are other reasons for me doing it. Yeah. The gardeners, Jane, like they're not yeah. all terrible. Right. But it's kind of because he wants to get into Elizabeth's pants, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's mostly that. It's like yeah. 90% that. It's like, as nice as a bunch of flowers your sister's going to not only ruin her name, but yours. Mm-hmm. And she's going to kind of just be stuck living in London, unmarried to Mr. Wickham. Do you reckon he could have bought her a box of Maltesers as well? Like, just throwing it in. Just, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to go that far, just go all the way. Bottle of yeah. wine. Yeah. 
Uh, I actually, so the reason that I love Mr. Darcy is the bit that I think is the point where the reader should be. Like, if you haven't figured out by the time we have the conversation with Mrs. Reynolds that he is a nice guy, I've got some quotes just to spell it out for you. So it's pretty long, but at Pemberley, we see Mr. Darcy through the eyes for the first time of people that really, really, really like him and not through everyone else's eyes. And so because we're learning all of this, Elizabeth is also learning all of this for the first time. So we can all make that jump together. If anyone by the end of this podcast thinks that this is a forgettable scene, we are not on talking terms anymore. Whoa. Okay. <sighs> Sit down, make a cup of tea, because there's quite a lot, but I think it's all valuable. I've cut out like a some of the she said, she said, Elizabeth's responses, they walked down the hallway. This is just Mrs. Reynolds' dialogue and that I've put together mm-hmm. for for ease and speed. I do not know who is good enough for him. I say no more than the truth and what everybody will know will say that knows him. I have never had a cross word from him in my life and I have known him ever since he was four years old. If I was to go through the world, I could not meet with a better. But I have always observed that they who are good-natured when children are good-natured when they grow up. He was always the sweetest-tempered and most generous-hearted boy in the world. He is the best landlord and the best master that ever lived. Not like the wild young men nowadays who think of nothing but themselves. There is not one of his tenants or servants, but what will give him a good name. Some people will call him proud, but I am sure I never saw anything of it. To my fancy, it is only because he does not rattle away like other young men. Whatever he can give his sister, whatever can give his sister any pleasure is sure to be done in a moment. There is nothing he would not do for her. And then, yeah. I can't, that's the, I've already said that. I was going to talk about the gardeners again. Can you tell that I am obsessed? You're really into the gardeners. I think they're great. I think, I I would kind of like to be adopted by Mr. and Mrs. Gardener. Oh, no, you just like want to write a fan fiction about the gardeners. Yeah, well, maybe we can both write a fan fiction. (laughs) We can see who gets the most points. I bet yours will, because yours will be funny and mine will just be, I love the gardeners and I wrote loads of notes about the gardeners and how much... I think they're really great and how much I really like it when they're included in the adaptations and how much I really miss them in the Laurence Olivier adaptation <laughs> and how much I miss them in the 2003 adaptation. And if anyone's going to get a spin-off series, it should be The Gardeners. Oh, all right. Okay. So, and then my final bit. When I watched Pride and Prejudice with Chloe, who you might remember from, was it the intro episode? Um, or the first episode. I think it's the first episode. The first episode, talking about North and South. Yeah. So Chloe uh, was forced to watch Pride and Prejudice by myself. Had not seen it before. Had not seen it before, had not read the books or anything. And by the end of it, she was like, I mean, come on, Mr. Darcy is um, autistic. Like, that is her takeaway from the Darcy situation. Now, uh, she also just didn't understand why anybody was attracted to the guy. I've all, like... You know, I watched him maybe for the first time when I was 12. He was taped Mm -hmm. to my school planner for a little while. Colin Firth was. Right, So it's not something that I've ever really, like, questioned or doubted. But I think Mm -hmm. because she was watching it for the first time in her 20s, she was just like, what's going on? This guy's clearly autistic. Like, can we just talk about the fact that Mr. Darcy is perhaps not getting some of the help with society that he could do with? Wow. Some extra support, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't get that. No. However, right. So there is a woman 
called Phyllis Ferguson Bottomer, who wrote something called So Odd a Mixture. Okay. And that book is about finding... Uh, finding... Right, I've got a really... So it's about, like, finding symptoms of, like, ADHD and autism in the characters from Pride and Prejudice. Oh, okay, okay. And, like, the whole idea of reading modern literature with 2017 and, like, modern day, like, medical theories and then putting them on characters. Okay. And, like, she wrote this whole book about it. And then, so, because Chloe had said that and because I just Googled it to see if anybody else was thinking along the same lines, I Mm -hmm. found this Guardian article uh, where Shirley Dent says... There is little point in reading literature backwards through our contemporary concerns in an attempt to consolidate and console our current lives. Darcy is Darcy, not because he is autistic, but because his reserve and restraint are what an early 19th century female author admired. So I agree that going back and trying to look at characters like this does not help us analyse or understand the text. When we are reading stuff in 2017, we are missing 200 years of social convention. Yeah. It's very easy to turn around and say that Mr. Darcy is the strong and silent type, but the strong and silent type didn't exist in Regency England. Mm -hmm. That is a modern day fantasy that we put onto guys. And if we go back and just apply those tropes to characters, we are really not looking at them as analytically as we can and we are Mm. missing stuff like the scene at Pembley like we're not taking it into account and so when people like she just fancies him because he's rich it's because we're not understanding how important and how difficult it was to be a good landlord Mm -hmm. how it was like you had to manage your money like he was super rich and he wasn't just running around like being extravagant drinking throwing wild parties he was taking care of people he was making sure his estate was managed it was a job. He took it seriously. He was a serious young man. And because he was a serious young man, he maybe didn't have the like, the desire to just run around and dance at parties and be merry and bright. Right. He was rude, but he's not rude by the end of the book. Right. Reserve and restraint. I love a bit of reserve and restraint. I feel like I've just waffled on. No. I really struggled. I found this, I found this week was... to be really hard, everyone, because... <laughs> I don't find this Mr. Darcy anymore. I like Captain Wilmer. I don't know. It's just a lot, isn't it? He's like yeah, he's lot. like one of the most famous men in literature. I had to sum him up and say opinions, and I didn't want to. It's very, very hard. I mean, yeah, and every and I keep the thing about Darcy is though, <laughs> I keep asking people that we've been interviewing on this podcast for their opinion because mm-hmm. everyone has an opinion on Mr. Darcy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has loved him across mm-hmm. the board, but they can't really pinpoint why. And part of me thinks with Darcy is that, and this is like actually brilliant from Jane Austen. He's sort of an empty vessel character, right? I feel like she does this thing in her novels where she does allow the reader to just go ahead and insert themselves in the novel. And so you can insert your dream man as Darcy. Yeah. And... Because he doesn't look doesn't look like anything. Exactly. So he is just sort of an empty vessel character. And that's one of the reasons why people just love him. Yeah. He never says what his favorite music is. No. He doesn't, like, he doesn't say, like, he's not like Wickham or so, like, um, not Wickham, Willoughby. I did it. I said I would get confused. Mm-hmm. Willoughby's like, these are my favorite authors. Let me talk about that. Right. Like, they have very specific things that they like. Yeah. Like, you think you know Darcy, but you like you actually don't. 
Yeah. That's a thing. Apart from the fact that he's, he's an all-round upstanding good guy. Yeah, yeah, he's just, he's a great guy. And so what? Elizabeth's like, oh, tell me about how you know Mr. Wickham. And he's like, oh, actually, that's a bit of a personal subject. I don't want to share. Screw him. No. So I'm going to close. The last thing I'm going to say, this is from chapter 50. I said that the way that we fall in love with Mr. Darcy is with Elizabeth Bennet and that we see, like, the way we see him shifts with her. So I've got the quote of when she is asked... Uh, when did this happen? From such a connection, she could not wonder that he should shrink. The wish of procuring her regard, which she had assured herself of his feeling in Derbyshire, could not in rational expectation survive such a blow as this. She was humbled. She was grieved. She repented, though she hardly knew of what. She became jealous of his esteem when she could no longer hope to be benefited by it. She wanted to hear of him when there seemed the least chance of gaining intelligence. She was convinced that she could have been happy with him when it was no longer likely they should meet. Yeah. She didn't know, and then she knew. Yeah. It's all feelings, right? It's like all these vague, yeah, but also really um, relatable feelings. And I think that's what people love about Jane Austen. And it's brilliant it's brilliant and then they go and make a film and the film or the Huffington Post article or the BuzzFeed <laughs> list or whatever it is and then that is translated into she sees his house and there's a fat wad of cash by the doorstep and she's like banging good time I'm going to drink some champagne oh yeah yeah I said I was going to leave it with that quote and then I didn't no you didn't that's okay though um, can we just talk very quickly about like maybe the some of the film Darcy's Oh, yeah, we can. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So my favorite Mm -hmm. is Matthew McFadden. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's kind (laughs) of cute, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He really pulls it off for me because I think um, he's got that great voice. Yes. And I've actually seen him on stage and that voice in person is just booming. Like it's just, really? it's really like, it's intimidating, but it's also approachable because it's mm-hmm. like, it's just, it's, it, it works. So he's got that big voice, but he has those soft puppy dog eyes. <gasps> and he does a lot of acting with those eyes. And again, with Darcy as this sort of like vessel, like he has the stature and the voice to sort of pull off that intimidating, like proud, like mm-hmm. just off-putting you know, side of Darcy. He's, but I don't then... think he's as clipped as Colin Firth. He's Colin not as Firth clipped. Is like... No, he's not. Um, so my favourite Matthew McFadden moment is, mm-hmm. and like, it's really, I think my mum doesn't like it. I can't, mm-hmm. I was talking with someone and they were just like, that's really lame. Might have been Chloe. Um, it's the bit, he's in the rain. Yes. He's, he's trying to talk to her and he can't get the words out and he goes, I love, I love, I love you. And he's yes. like, he's really struggling. Like, he really feels it. And you yes. really feel that he feels it. I think it's such a good performance. It's really good. You don't care for Laurence Olivier, though, do you? Um, it was like... You thought he was just too funny. He was just too funny. It was like he didn't want to... It was like he had a conversation with the director. Like, I want to appear like a fun time guy. I don't want to... Yeah. I don't want to be a, you know, a snob. He just was a little too charming for me. Yeah. He was he was very watchable. I mean, uh, he's Laurence Olivier. He's a pretty watchable guy. <laughs> I strangely I haven't seen his Heathcliff, and right. um, I will watch it, and we will absolutely talk about it on the podcast. But um, I'm very curious because I absolutely do not think he can carry off a Heathcliff. I'm saying about one of the 
yeah. I'm just Greatest I'm just trying to like imagine him killing a dog and then yeah 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 because you know like I haven't read it yet so <laughs> I know like, I know I know that that happens it does happen I've seen a movie of it but... which one oh just that one yeah, yeah that one Andrea like 2011 uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so who is your favorite Darcy mm. Matthew McFadden I think yeah oh wow yeah yeah. I thought that was a great movie, you know. There I was some too, stuff, yeah. like, don't, I mean, it's not a perfect film. There are a lot of problems with it. I said, like, I think every episode I bring up one of my issues. Mm-hmm. But, like, none, none of them are perfect. Yeah, no, none of them are perfect. perfect. But Colin Firth is great. I do have yeah. a really strong belief that when people say, when you ask someone, who who's your Darcy? Like, it really just depends on what your first exposure was to it. Yeah, it's like, who's your doctor? I mean, that's like a Doctor Who to thing that. too. It totally is, though. It was like it sort is. of like, who's your first Doctor? Like who? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like, I think when people say, "Oh, my favorite Mr. Darcy is Laurence Olivier," they tend to be of a certain age, mm-hmm. you know. And for a really long time, mine was Colin Firth. Even after, even after the Joe Wright directed one okay. came out, and then the more like I've watched that one more in recent years because it's so it's so much shorter. Like the BBC one is six hours long, right? Whereas I can watch the the later one, you know, in an evening. Exactly. Yeah. I don't have to sit down. And I just, I think it's a great performance. Yeah. So I don't know. But like my mum, my mum will never think that Matthew McFadden is better. She's very much like a Colin Firth. Mm-hmm. So. so yeah. The um, actor that, I know you haven't seen the 1980s BBC version, mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice. Um, I do think the Darcy in that one is very, very good. Uh, I really, really like him. Because he, again, has... It's a voice thing for me. Like, he's very... He has an intimidating presence. Okay. But then he really softens. And um, I like I like that about him, too. You know who I didn't hate? Hmm. The guy in Death Comes to Pemberley. You know his name. Um, Yeah, one of the Matthews from The Wine Show, which you did hate. I did hate The Wine Show. It just seems so smug. Oh, but I love it. Just these two guys going around drinking wine, being besties. It's like my dream. My dream to either do that with a friend or like just be in it between with the two them. of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just necking wine. Yeah. I'm in the corner like drinking a Chardonnay or something. So you guys are annoying. <laughs> glug, 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 glug. Love them. Um, yeah, I, so he doesn't work for me as Darcy. So that's uh, Matthew Reese. And um, for me, he's not tall enough to be Darcy. Does that make sense? It makes sense because you said that obviously you put whoever you want but like i don't really like i don't really care yeah you don't care it's too short to be darcy he's a great he's a great actor though i love him i actually Mm -hmm. i think he's a great actor he and he did a good job in the um in death comes to pemberley the thing though about that adaptation is that or not adaptation about that series um is that matthew good is my dream darcy and he plays wickham you need a Matthew Good I need a Matthew Good. A lot of the time that we uh, spend recording this podcast is just Googling like various actors and then like ogling them. Oh, it's the other one. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You do love the wine show. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, I think he'd be a great Darcy. Yeah. I always get him tall. confused with I, the guy I'm that sorry, played Commodore mean... Norrington in Pirates of the Caribbean. Hmm. I always get them confused. You know, good would also be a good Tony as well, because he's he can be like you know, you know, he's dry and funny. Oh, he looks nice there, doesn't he? Yeah, oh, he's a, he's a nice watch, looking man. Watch a lovely photo. 
Yeah. There. Quit smoking, young man. That's very bad for you. Mm-hmm. But I, I quite enjoy him. Wow. I can, I'm, I can tell. <laughs> he's fine. He's he good. can stay. He's All one right, of the ones that can stay. All yeah, right. He's okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, one of, he's one of your better fan castings, I think. Yeah. Because he's already done it. He hasn't done Darcy. Hasn't, no, you can't do Darcy now, can he? He's done it. It'll be too old by the time they're ready to do another one. <sighs> I really didn't care for the guy who was in um, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. I have not seen it yet. We can watch it and then you can say. I, yeah. just, I don't know. I don't um, like zombies. Oh. So it's really the big, it's a big problem for me. Like you're scared of them? Or? I just don't like, they just give me anxiety. I'm not into them. Okay. Yeah. But I think I'll like, watch Pride and Prejudice and Zombies because of the Pride and Prejudice Should part. we just skip those bits? I think you'll really like yeah, Lady yeah. Catherine de Bourgh in that. Okay. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's, there's a lot happening in that film, which is like. Okay. All right. So we'll rent it. We'll like rent it maybe tonight or tomorrow. And then we'll, we'll talk about it. Not tonight. We've got to watch The Bachelorette. Oh, that's right. We have to actually go, guys, and watch The Bachelorette. So, um, yeah. Sorry about it. Sorry about that. We actually need to cut this podcast short. Next week, we're going to talk about Heathcliff, though. Oh, my gosh. So, I should probably watch or read something with Heathcliff in. Well, I've done one, but I'll do another one so that I can talk about which actor I fancy more. She's not going to, guys. She's I, not going to. I will. All right. I will. Oh, Lauren. What? Before we go, what? one bonus little segment. What? I am so close to finishing Jane Eyre, everybody. <gasps> oh, Jane Eyre feelings. Gosh. Jane Eyre feelings. I'll just say very, like, I'll make sure. There is kissing in Jane Eyre. Yeah. Nobody told me. I didn't get that far the first time. And genuinely, after reading lots of Austen books where there is no kissing, mm-hmm. when they kiss for the first time, I was like, yes, <laughs> Rochester lad. Get a smooch in. I was like pounding my fists on my knees. I was... Did it feel scandalous? It felt so scandalous. Ah! And he's like, he's, he's into it. He's, he's he is way so passionate. Yeah. He is just, and he like, and like, oh my gosh, I have, there, so much has happened. I was going to read like a, just a small bit of it and then talk to you, but I haven't been able to put the book down. I know. It's like, she's been reading in the car. Like, too. Like, I've been like driving, like people Miss have Daisy, been, people driving have been talking to me, and I've just been like, "What do you want?" Or like in the middle of conversations, just been like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe he's done it." There's yeah. this like he so, I like oh, spoilers. We've spoiled everything else. Yeah. The minute he starts explaining himself and being like, "This is why I have a woman locked in my attic," mm-hmm. not into it. Don't don't want to have the ten page explanation of mm-hmm. why this guy has just gone around shagging people all over Europe and why he's got a woman locked in his attic and why he keeps calling Jane Eyre his little child and why he's so horrible to this kid that he's kind of raising as his own but kind of doesn't believe to be his own. Right. You know, like... There's a lot of Rochester problems. Yeah. Are we going to do an episode about Rochester? We're going to do an episode okay, about good. Rochester. So I won't say any more now, but I just want you all to know that I haven't finished it yet, but I have almost finished it. I'm a big fan of Charlotte Bronte. The writing in that book is incredible there are moments when jane eyre says things like sit with me a moment reader and like you'll find out what i'm about to say when mr rochester finds out and that is like a magic piece of storytelling yeah like it is incredible and like it's a really direct way of doing the stuff that jane austen was doing where you Mm -hmm. learn like emma's a really good example of um Mr. Elson is perceived in a very certain way. Like, mm-hmm. he is just reported as being in love with Harriet until he says he isn't. 
And then after that, you see all of his behaviour really clearly. Right. Charlotte Bronte is doing a very similar thing where she's keeping information away from the reader. But instead of doing it through the prose and doing it very subtly, the narrator is saying... I'm not going to tell you right now. You're going to find out in a minute. And that yeah. is great. And you don't, you never see it coming. It'll just be in a line. And then you'll be reminded, this is a story. I am being told a story. Not by Charlotte Bronte, but by Jane Eyre. She is real. Yeah. She is yeah. real. And how anyone thought this book was written by a man. I know. How anyone thought that was the case. It's incredible. And actually that storytelling technique that you're talking about too, in Villette, she takes that like sort of a step further. And that's why I think... People have problems with that book, but that's one of the reasons why I love it. I have tried and to read Villette as well. What is wrong with me? I think me? now that you've read Jane Eyre, you can go on to Villette. And I think that you're going to see what I'm talking about. Because it doesn't happen until like midway through that you go, wait a minute, what's going on? And in fairness, the guy, I was lent a copy of Villette by a guy called Jack, who used to work at the Jane Austen Center with me. Mm-hmm. And he is like... The, one of the loveliest guys I've ever met and he was he was really staunchly like you have to read Villette I think it's going to change your life and mm-hmm. I tried but I started reading Jane Austen's letters instead okay that's fair so well it say. wasn't time but now it, it is time, time. you so. can find us on at bonnets at dawn on twitter and instagram <laughs> you can find us in other, yeah those places and on Unbound. On Unbound, because we're doing the book. That's right. If you want to read like a very sensible version of this weird garbled conversation, there will be a chapter on it in the book. You can go and like pre-order a copy. You can. The book will not be made unless we reach our funding, but it's not like a charitable donation. You are pre-ordering a physical book, unless you're pre-ordering a PDF, in which case you're ordering a virtual book. Uh, I'm complicating it. Go to the website. Yeah. You can actually not only get a hardcover, but you can get maybe like a tote bag or a pen. You could show your support. Uh, Team Austin or Team Bronte. You will get like a Team Austin pen or a Team Bronte pen. In all honesty, I'm going to send you Team Austin, whatever you pick. Oh. Well, I don't know. I think you're like kind of slowly coming over to the Team Bronte side, though. Maybe Team Charlotte Bronte, maybe. All right, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. As always, come back next week. We're going to talk about Heathcliff. I have a lot to say. Bye. Bye.